All right, so there's a lot going on here. Um, but I want to kind of explain this in a way that will be beneficial, but also kind of hit some of the, 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 the points of contention on the front end, okay? Um, and so imagine this is, um, we have right now, we have a primary sending church, and then we have some supporting churches, okay? Our primary sending church is Startville Community Church. Uh, most of you have not got to meet uh, many of those individuals, um, but there's a pastor there named Joe Horan, okay? Joe Horan and I have become close. He's a, their church is a Sydney church. Um, imagine this church, uh, this house church uh, of Philemon. He's essentially um, supporting Paul in ministry, and that's kind of why he gets out to this end. He's just added to my account, all of those things. Um, but it's even more than that. We're going to get to that in a second. But they're supporting Paul. And they're writing, and now Paul has this individual that is from their, their church, essentially, or from their household, and he's writing back to this supporting church. He's not only thanking them for what they have done for him, but he's tackling this major issue, this hard issue. And it's this, that this guy named Onis- Onesimus was a slave of Philemon. We can kind of address that in just a moment of what that meant. But we have this guy, Onesimus, which is a slave to Philemon. And for whatever reason, he's no longer with Philemon. We don't know the case. We don't know what's going on. There's a lot of speculations here. Maybe Onesimus uh, ran away. So maybe he's a runaway slave. That's where I would land for several reasons. We will get into it in the text. Um, maybe he's not a runaway slave but he's on some other duty or some other uh, command of Philemon, and he just encounters Paul during his imprisonment. It's likely. The third option, which I think is the most unlikely due to the nature of how he is writing, is that maybe Philemon sent Onesimus to Paul as a support in ministry. Most likely not the case because of what Paul is asking Onesimus to do. But what's important to note in this, and we're going we're gonna to dig deeper into it, is that Onesimus, however he ends up at Paul's place, he did something wrong. He did something wrong that caused Paul to say, if he owes you anything, I will give it back to you. But not only that, but when he left Philemon's house, he was an unbeliever. Because Paul, in verse 10 says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, who father I became in my imprisonment. The, the, the Greek here is almost the Greek of the begotten one, that he has become my son, my child, one from my loins. And so what Paul is saying essentially is that Onesimus is one that I have led to Christ. And what's so interesting about this book is Paul is most likely the one that either played a big part of Philemon's conversion or in his discipleship. So Paul, writing this letter about this slave that most likely was a runaway slave, and he's sending him back to his owner. Okay? That's just to kind of give some context. We're going to look at what all that means in this. And we're going to do this in four ways. And it's not on the screen. I went very basic this morning. Um, because there's a lot of information that's helpful, but there's a lot of information that gets us bogged down from focusing on the idea of biblical community, okay? 
And so, with that being said, there's four ways I'm going to look at this scripture, and it's verses 8 through 14, then 15 and 16, then 17 through 20, and then 21 through 25, okay? And what we're going to see in this is really Paul's uh, progression of his argument. He begins by appealing to Philemon, and then in doing that, he then reasons with Philemon, and then he pleads with Philemon, and then he has confidence in Philemon. But in all four of those things, we're going to see aspects of biblical community shouting at us. And so let's start by looking at this appeal of Paul to Philemon. And what we're going to see in this are some biblical examples of community. And we're going to do it by looking in verses 8 through 14. This is accordingly. All right. So he, he, he's transitioning now. The first part is the introduction of the book. Uh, now he's in this transitionary period where he's getting into the body of the book. And in getting into the body of the book, he begins by saying, Though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. So Paul begins and he says, Look, I certainly have authority and I'm certainly bold enough to tell you what to do. And uh, Nick was at our home Friday, and he and I was talking over this a little bit. And I told him, I find this very interesting, because when you read other letters that Paul wrote, we're in Philemon, um, Philemon chapter, well, verse 8. Um, there's not a chapter in Philemon. Um, what I was telling him uh, in this is that I find this so interesting, because when you see other letters, specifically the book uh, 1 Corinthians, which is actually 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians, but anyways, Story of a different day. Uh, when you see this book in 2 Corinthians, he look, he, he, Paul is writing to the church. He says, look, cast that man out. Excommunicate him. Don't allow him to take communion ever again until he repents of his sins and turns to Jesus. He says, and if you don't do it when I get there, I'm going to do it when I arrive. And so Paul, he's handling this much different than he did other circumstances. And the reason being, is because he's doing it out of love. Because if you keep reading in verse 9, he says, Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now in prison, prisoner, as for Christ Jesus. So he says, look, I'm not coming with you as authority. I'm not coming to you with the idea of one that is kind of led you to salvation. I'm not coming to you as this guy that has discipled you or led you to Christ. I'm coming to you as Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I mean, literally in prison uh, due to the name of Jesus. And I'm appealing to you. What is the appeal, though? Verse 10. I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you. But now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be my, by compulsion, but by your own accord. So we don't know the nature, as I said a minute ago, we don't know the nature of how Philemon, uh, how Philemon's slave Onesimus makes it to Paul. But I personally do lend more of the, the runaway slave theory. And if that's the case, 
and that's what I'm going to go with. And if that is the case, that means that this guy's slave, Onesimus, runs away and he finds Paul. And in finding Paul, what actually happens is that his life gets wrecked for the good. That he comes to Jesus in salvation. He trusts in Christ. And Paul's saying, look, he was once useless. Why was he useless? One, because he ran away. And two, because he was an unbeliever. But now he is useful for not only you, Philemon, but for me. During my imprisonment. He says, but I'm going to send him back to you. And then after that, we see another picture of love. Sending back my very heart. Paul loves this guy. Paul doesn't see Onesimus as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. But Paul, knowing the implications of the gospel, does not make the current cultural standard that Onesimus lived in prior to Christ null and void Paul says, look, I would rather him be with me, but I'm going to send him back to you and let you do what you're supposed to do. Now, he doesn't spell it out here. He doesn't, Paul doesn't say, now set him free so he's no longer a slave. And you actually read other places in scripture, we actually see a household code for those who had slaves. And it's essentially to treat them well, to treat them with affection, to treat them with love, to take care of them, to provide for them. So the reality here is if Philemon would have seemed, uh, received Onesimus back, in some way or another, it would have caused him a great unjust injustice to set him free as a slave. Because then it would have put him in a class system that was actually worse off for him. And, and, and just so we're clear about this, Slavery in this day and age certainly could have been like we have seen in our history as an Americans. But it's not necessarily that way when a biblical believer would do what they were supposed to do. In, in, the, in the instance where a believer had a slave in this circumstances, it should have been where they took care of this individual. It would have been more like someone that lived on their premises and worked for them. It would have been somebody... Um, this is a weird reference, and for half the people in the room, you're not going to get it. But it would have been much more like um, Jeffrey off of um, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air than it would have been a slave. It would have been somebody that lived with them, that in some ways was family, in some ways had a life that was enjoyable, peaceful, good. But in reality, that wasn't always the case. Paul most likely did not assume that Philemon would do something wrong in this relationship. So he sends him back to his owner, essentially, and he's giving him this kind of encouragement to do what he needs to do. He's appealing with him. He's giving this request of him. And what I want to see in that, first and foremost, as we've already looked at, this love that just jumps off the pages he does this out of love for Philemon, but he also does it out of love for Onesimus. But what I also want us to see is this person, and this isn't a, this isn't a um, characteristic of biblical community, but it, it kind of is in its own way, right? Is that when Scripture is not clear, 
What I mean by that is many things are black and white. Sex before marriage, sinful. Drunkenness, sinful. Um, homosexuality, sinful. Abortion, sinful. Um, stealing things, sinful. Disobeying parents, sinful. There's a lot of things that are black and white. Scripture is clear. This is wrong. But then there's a lot of things that are more matters of the conscience, differences of opinions that Scripture is not as clear on. This was one of those moments. Paul most likely would have desired for him to set this man free altogether. But there wasn't this biblical requirement for it because in Old Testament times, there was actually things set into structure that allowed the slaves to be taken care of well. So when this moment where it's not black and white, what we see a picture of is this personal freedom and matters of the conscience during sanctifications. And what I want us to see in that, and we're going to look at this more in a moment, is it doesn't matter where we land things with different things. It doesn't matter if someone would call themselves Reformed or if somebody would call themselves Armenian. It doesn't matter if someone would vote one way or vote the other way. It doesn't matter, and I'm talking more local than anything, it doesn't matter if we have a differences of opinions on how to parent or how not to parent. It doesn't matter if we invest differently or we live differently. It doesn't matter how we are different from one another as long as Scripture doesn't say it's sinful. When it's sinful, we call our brothers and sisters out on that sin. But when it's not black and white, when there's some wiggle room there for us to live differently, then what we do is we accept that in the other person. And we say, you know, I am different from you. I would do this differently. But brother or sister, I see how you could come to this conclusion. And I think that is awesome. A great example of this. And I'm getting too bogged down in this, but a great example of this is the end times. The views of uh, eschatology. When you read the book of Revelation and you read uh, um, Daniel and you read some of Matthew and even Mark and Luke and John, you see these pictures of what the world's going to look like when it comes to an end. But the reality is there's about 20 different views in about different areas of eschatology. And all of those views have biblical proofs for them. Is that a gospel issue? No. So we can have conversations. We can sit and we can talk over coffee about it. And we can have a meal together and discuss these fun topics. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We focus on what matters. The reality here is we definitely see Paul doing this. Because he begins by saying, look, I have the authority to command from you. But I'm going to appeal to you instead. Because the way you handle this is, you've got to do it biblically, but there's ways, multiple ways you can do this. So we see this personal freedom and sanctification going on here. We see this brotherly love. But I would be missing a big picture of biblical community if we didn't focus on this relationship between Paul and Onesimus. Paul discipled this man. He shared his faith with him. He's doing ministry with him. He's working with him. He's teaching him things. Paul loves this guy. And Paul is sending him back and he's sending him out with a deep affection for him. You know, there's many ways I could think about this in my own personal life. There's, over the last few years, I've had the joy and honor to disciple several people. 
Um, there's some that are serving in ministry. There's some that are just students that are still in high school. But then I think about even the two guys that we've sent out. We've got Josh and we've got Tim. I had the opportunity to disciple both of those guys in a lot of ways, and them disciple important to me. But Josh specifically was a newer believer when he come to this. When he got here, he got saved, and whenever I met him, was a newer believer, and I was able to really pour into his life, and still trying to do that from a distance. And when these people leave our life, it hurts. And the reality is, Redeemer, as we're seeking to reach the Air Force community. And the, the community here at this W, there's going to be people come and go often. There's going to be people in your life that you disciple, that you pour into, that you have meals with. And they're going to leave. And God's going to call them and send them somewhere else for some reason or another. But that is not a reason not to pick up and disciple the next guy or the next woman, to pour into the next family, to love on them in their specific ways. Because we as a biblical community, we disciple each other. It may hurt, it may sting, it, it may just not be joyous in a lot of ways. But man, it's wonderful to be able to pour into them people while they're here until God calls them another way. And it's not always those communities. There may even be people in this room that decide to move elsewhere or live somewhere differently by their own regard, by work circumstances, whatever the case may be. Those moments are going to not be great. But as we're discipling people, we know God is sovereign and he's calling and sending them where he desires them to be. And so in this first part of scripture, we see biblical community consists of personal freedom or personal conscience decisions, brotherly love, discipleship. We see this in his appeal. But in 15 through 16, we get to his reasoning. His reasoning behind this appeal. It is this. For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than that, a bondservant, more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in flesh and in Lord? So I want to be clear here. Paul is sending Onesimus back to Philemon as a bondservant, as a slave. But what he's saying here is that maybe... Just, just maybe the reason why he's no longer with you is this. He parted from you for a while that you might have him back forever. That's, that's an amazing truth. This is the gospel shouting at us. He's saying, look, and, and like I said, I'm going with the conclusion that uh, Onesimus ran, it was a runaway slave. And Paul is writing this letter to Philemon that would have had every right to, to kind of give him the, the right hand of justice. And he's pleading with him to not do this, okay? And he's pleading and saying, look, I'll pay back his wages. We'll see this in a moment. But in doing this, he's, he's kind of getting to his reasoning why he shouldn't kind of just kind of do justice for this guy. And his reasoning is simple is that maybe, just maybe, and this guy's running away as a slave, God certainly used that moment of his rebellion for good. It reminds me of Genesis. It's not on the screen. It's not planned. But Genesis chapter 50. Genesis chapter 50. Verse 19. 
This is the moment in which Joseph is referring back to his brothers after his father passed. After they had sold him into slavery, he had a life of just torment and pain and sorrow for some good. And they're fearful that they're, they're, he's going to judge them. He's going to give them justice, essentially. What does he say? But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for I am, in the, am I in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So in this moment, Joseph says, look, you meant this evil, God meant it for good, and God is sovereign, and God is working, and God is in control, and he accomplished his will in your evil deeds. Okay? What Paul is saying here is, Onesimus, you know, he might have ran away. He might have done what was wrong. But perhaps the reason why he did this was so that God could ultimately use his rebellion to bring him to me. To bring him to himself, to save him, and then to be a help for me. That's why in verse 16, he says, No longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but much more to you, both in flesh and in the Lord. What I want us to see in this is that the gospel transcends all areas of life. Galatians would tell us that there's neither Jew nor Greek, free nor slave, male nor female in Christ Jesus. And this is a beautiful picture of it. Because what Paul is saying to Philemon is, look, he's a bondservant, but he's much more than that. He's a slave, but he's much more than that. He's your brother in Christ. He's my brother in Christ. And God has certainly saved him. And he's appealing to him and he's given this reasoning and the reason why he should treat him differently, the reason why he should forget his debts, the reason why if he, if he can't forget his debts, he would pass it on to Paul is why? Because he is now a brother and sister in Christ. The third thing we see though is this plea to Philemon from Paul. 17 through 20 he says, so if you consider me your partner, So he's pleaded with him. He's reasoned with him. I mean, he's appealed to him. He's gave his request. He's reasoned with him. Now he's pleading with him. And he starts off by saying, so if you consider me your partner in Christ, receive him as you would receive me. This is the request. This is the heart of it. He says, look, don't receive him. As this guy that ran away. Don't receive him as this guy that deserves justice. Receive him as you would receive me. Even more than that, if he has wronged you, verse 18, at all, or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hands. I will repay it. To say nothing of your owing me ever, even your own self. So, What's funny about this, and the language here doesn't tell it completely until you look at Greek some. He says, look, I'm writing this with my hands. I appeal to you. I will pay my dues. I will pay his debt. I will pay my debt. But more than that, I'm writing it with my hand. This is my hand I'm writing with this. This isn't somebody else. This is me writing. I will pay my debt. He's signing a contract here saying, I'm going to take care of Onesimus' tab. But then at the end of it, 
your Bible is like mine, there's a dash right before it says to say nothing of your own owing me, even your own self. That dash in modern world in English would be parentheses. And so what he's saying here is let's not forget about the fact that you owe me your life. Paul is appealing with him and he's reasoning with him and he's definitely pleading with him. But Paul is still Paul. And he's calling him back to the gospel. And he's saying, look, God used me to save you, to disciple you. He's done the same thing for Onesimus. If you can't forgive that debt, put it on my tab, I will pay it. And by the way, you owe me everything. He's not doing this as like that grandmother or that, that, that loved one that kind of pulls the strings to get what they want. He's doing this to remind him that you were once lost, but now you're saved. So in this, what I want us to see is brotherly affection in verse 17. He says, look, if you consider me your partner, consider him yours. This affection Paul has for Onesimus goes beyond that of a prisoner and slave. It's one that is grounded in Christ. He, he, he loves this guy. But we also see this calling in this example of biblical and brotherly support for one another. Paul's saying, look, I'll take care of his tab. I'll provide for him. Oh, that's a great example. When you read the book of Acts, you see this moment where they sell everything they have to give to their brothers and sisters in Christ. And that wasn't like communism selling everything we have to put it all in a pot now live off of. That was when brothers and sisters had excess, they couldn't let their other brothers and sisters live in poverty. And as Christ changed all of their life, they were going to live life together and make sure everyone had what they needed and were taken care of, that the widows were fed, the orphans were taken care of. Around the same time period, people would actually go outside to the dumps and they would pick up the children that were left there to die. And they would pull them in, though they did not have much, and take care of them. We see this idea of brotherly support in this. And what I want to land with is 21 through 22. 23 through 25 is really just Paul writing about who's with him. One of the guys is imprisoned with him. The other guys are on mission around him, okay? Uh, but 21 through 22, it speaks of his confidence. Let's read it. It says, confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. So let's start on 22. 22, he's saying, look, prepare for me a place. I'm praying that I end up in Colossae after I get out of prison. And through your prayers, I think God's going to provide this for me. And as you pray for me, I'm going to come see you. I want to I stay in your home. I want to stay in your house. As you've treated restful places for all of these other Christians, I want you to do it again for me. Okay, that's what 22 is talking about. 
So we definitely see this dependence that Paul has on Philemon and his house church and his family. And he's leaning into this biblical community that God had provided for them in the town of Colossae. But in 21, he's as confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. Paul isn't writing this letter to reprimand Philemon. But Paul is writing this letter requesting that Philemon would love Odysseus like Paul loves Odysseus. Most likely that he's, what he would want in this circumstance is for Odysseus to get to Philemon. Philemon says, your dad is forgiven. Here's these supplies. Take them to Paul and serve with him. But at least... What Paul is expecting is that Philemon would do exactly what he's supposed to do. See, Paul, it's like that trust fall picture. Paul is falling back and he's trusting and knowing that Philemon's going to do what Philemon's going to do. And that's what he's supposed to do. See, the reality here is we've talked about a lot of things in biblical community over the last two weeks. We've talked about praying for one another, encouraging one another. We talked about Christian maturity, gospel rest, brotherly love, discipleship, unity, affection, support. All of those things are great, wonderful things. We're called to do those things, not only here, but other places in Scripture. Okay? But this is the reality. Is that way too often in the Christian church, there's people around us that are willing to do all of these things for us, but we're too prideful and arrogant to actually lean into the community that God has gave us. And so the prime application I want us to see in this, as I think about where we are as Redeemer, is that we're still building this community and we're also gonna be inviting people to join us in this community, either new believers or believers in this area that are de-churched, unchurched, or transient to this area, okay? And as we do that, we have to do these first nine things, okay? But we also have to lean into them. We have to trust in them. We have to trust in each other. We have to lean into the biblical community that God has provided for us in Redeemer Church. Also, other churches as well. That's why we have sending churches to support churches, the reality here is that in this, just as much as you're supposed to live out the realities of a biblical community, you're supposed to trust in them as well. If I'm going to be honest, it's easy for me to love you guys. It's easy for me to ask you guys to be vulnerable with me. It's easy for me to give you gospel rest. It's easy for me to teach you in Christian maturity. It's easy for me to disciple, to be unified, to, to show affection and support. And I know affection may not seem like that's easy for me, but it is in some ways. But what's hard for me, and I think it's con considerably a hard thing for anybody, but especially men, is actually depending on other people. But we have to cast that out. Scripturally speaking, we are called to trust in each other and lean into each other. So this is what I want to encourage you. As Nick comes, as a body of believers, as a biblical community,
They're seeking to reach out to a transient community as well as locals. There's going to be a moment in our church's life. There's going to be a, a, this time where you're going to be hurt too much. Not by people hurting you, but by having too many people leave. There's going to be a moment where that one person went away that's just hard for you to overcome. That person that we got to pray over and send out, commission for the gospel's sake, but it's going to hit home harder than maybe the person before or the person before that. Maybe it's going to feel like you're spinning your wheels pouring into somebody for a year to four years. That's just going to hurt. And maybe that next person that comes around, you're not going to want to pour into. Definitely don't want to be vulnerable with them. Why do they need to know my issues, my struggles, my problems? Why do they need to come around me and help me in this season? But this is the thing. is the same God that, sent on, that allowed Onesimus to run away as a slave so that he could encounter a risen Savior. In the example of Paul, to redeem and save him, is the same God that is going to be with us in this process. And so let's lean into each other. Let's pour into each other. Let's seek biblical community.